Hey there, my name is Jonathan Galvan, and I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer. Uh, we're so glad that you're tuning in to this sermon, and we pray that this sermon would be an encouragement to you. So please enjoy. Amen. Good morning. How many of you, this is your first time in this room? Handful of you, awesome. Welcome. Years ago, I'll give you a little brief history of Redeemer. Uh, quite a few years ago, when we launched the church, we launched in McGraw, and then very quickly we moved into this building, uh, and we grew from one service to two services, and outgrew that and moved back. But every now and then, they resurfaced the floors, and uh, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. We preach to the Beatitudes, and if there was a modern day Beatitude, it might say something like this: "Blessed are the flexible." For they shall not be bent out of shape. So thanks for being flexible. Sometimes we just get to uh, flex a little bit, uh, which is something that's just beautiful about the way God's designed the church. The church is not a building. It's not a location. It is a group of people. And we can meet anywhere. And so uh, praise God for that. And praise God, honestly, uh, I think this is just a little gift the Lord gave me of just uh, one last little bit of, of cool weather and rain. I love cool weather. So it was a nice little surprise uh, to wake up and uh, be in like the low 40s. Amen? What a great day. I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, this last uh, few weeks uh, in the Hatch family has been a birthday season. Uh, we've got a big chunk. Uh, three of the five of us have birthdays within just a few weeks of each other, the end of February uh, on in through March. Uh, and so uh, we celebrate a lot of times our boys' birthdays together because they're close. And so what you do as parents is you uh, think and you brainstorm, how can we bless our children? What can we do for them that is good? Uh, because that's what good parents do. They do good things for their kids? What is a good gift we can give? What is a good uh, event we can uh, do? What are some friends we can invite? What is good food we can have? Because that's just at the heart uh, of parents is wanting to bless and do good for their kids. Uh, and that's where Jesus is going uh, in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's just talking about our relationship to God, not just as a father, but as a good father. I mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago, because as I mentioned, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is preaching, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and, and many times he talks about God as Father. Um, so we've talked about this before because this theme is, is fairly central to truly understanding what the gospel has invited us into, and Jesus goes above and beyond to try to shape our view of God in the Sermon on the Mount. So he talks about God as Father often, which you just can't... Uh, overestimate how revolutionary that idea was. For hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, no religion and not even Judaism uh, had this concept of relating to God as a father. In the Old Testament, God is, he is mentioned as a father just a handful of times, uh, but it's always in relation to the nation, that he is a father to the nation. It's not a personal thing until Jesus comes on the scene, and that seems to be central for his goal, is to try to get us to understand what it means that God is now our father. Jesus mentions the term 165 times over and over and over and over, and he does so in a personal way. He seems to, and very clearly, talks to God and talks about God as his father, and he invites us to do the same. And he's going, going to do this in Matthew 7, uh, really as, as he is shaping our prayers 
Uh, and I, I hope that you're a person that prays, and I hope that if you're not, you're at least curious about how you might learn to pray more because God has given us that invitation. Uh, but what he's going to do is he's going to help fix some of our prayer lives by helping us to see God as a good father. So if you are in Matthew chapter 7, need some help this morning, tell me that you're ready. All right, one more time. Tell me that you're ready. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Jesus Christ himself, red letter, son of God, said it this way. Many of you all have, you know this. Uh, you probably have portions of this memorized. Ask, and it will be given to you. He said that. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? And if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Two things. Number one, this is true. What Jesus just said is true, but you also need to know that this is not Jesus' exhaustive uh, dealing with the idea of prayer. And so we want to dig in because what Jesus said is true, but we want to frame it in a way that we know Jesus said some other things about prayer. And if you just kind of discount everything else that Jesus said about prayer or everything else the New Testament says about prayer, and you just isolate it to this portion, you can get off base a little bit. Uh, if you just take this, and not the rest of Jesus' teaching, uh, you can very, very quickly get to the place where we kind of name it and claim it, right? Blab it and grab it. Like, you just say it, and God is obliged to give you what you want. Why? Because it just said so. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. But Jesus himself kind of debunks that what, with, with his prayers. Did, did you know Jesus had some prayers where the Father answered no? He asked in the garden, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me, and there was not. So, like, even Jesus didn't get a yes uh, for everything that he prayed. And even in the verb usage, when Jesus says here, when he says ask, um, th that's an ongoing verb. It actually literally means keep on asking. If you ask once and you don't get it, you keep asking, you don't stop asking. Keep seeking, keep knocking. Meaning that the, be persistent, okay? So what Jesus said here is true, um, but just as a reminder, you need to know this is not his exhaustive teaching on prayer. But, uh, so there, there's some things that this text is not saying. It's not saying that we just have a clean list to ask whatever we want and God has to give us what we ask for. But I would make this case and ask you to, to ponder this and let it sink down in your heart. What Jesus is actually saying is even more revolutionary than the idea that we will get everything that we want. Because the focus of what Jesus is teaching is, is unveiling to us that God is our Father and He only gives good things. He is a good dad. He is a good father. And that's so much more revolutionary what we've been invited into. That's so much better news um, than if we just get guaranteed for all of our prayer lists to be said yes. So uh, as we walk through this, I want two things, uh, two things for us to learn. Uh, and, and more than that, probably two things for us to, to take to heart and to put into practice. And those two things are this. Number one, ask, seek, knock. 
be bold and faithful in the way that you pray. Uh, For the first time, because I've read this probably like many of you, I've read this many, many times uh, in my life. And as I was digging into it this week, those three verbs are really those three invitations that Jesus himself invited us into. He is the one who said, you should ask, you should seek, you should knock. Those kind of came alive to me uh, for the first time this week. Uh, Because if you dig in a little bit uh, to the first century and the language that Jesus was using, these things mean potentially a a different thing than they do right off the bat. Ask, uh, it's just like very basic. It means a simple request. If you need something, just ask. That one is fairly similar. So Jesus is saying, if, if you have a need, feel free. Just verbalize that and ask. But then the other two almost seem to be different levels. They're different levels of needs. They're different levels of prayer. They're different levels of emotion or the place where you are at in your life. So ask is just a simple request. But, but seek you know, in, in the original language, there's a kind of a desperation to it. It means that somebody has lost something. How many of you have ever lost a kid in HEB? I'll take it a step further. How many of you have ever lost a kid in Walmart on a Saturday? Like, it is amazing. Or how many of you have ever lost a pet or a wallet or something that was near and dear to you, and your heart can go zero to 100 instantly, and you begin to get incredibly nervous, and what do you start doing? You're frantically seeking. That's what the word actually means. It's not just like, oh, I'm out kind of looking for something. No, there's a desperation to it. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, if you need something, ask. And if you're desperate, then seek and you will find. And then knock, okay? The, dif- the distance between knock in our day and age and knock in, a fir- in the first century are miles apart. What does knock mean to us now? If someone comes to your door and they knock, this is what it is right? It's just the pathetic little knock. And it's so polite. And sometimes you can't even hear it over the sound of the kids or the air conditioner. But that's not what it means in the first century. Because in the first century, I read multiple places where it was just not the Arab culture in that part of the world to knock. Uh, They would just come in unannounced. Some of you are like, my kids are Arab. I didn't even know that. They just come barging in. Like they wouldn't announce themselves through a nice knock, they would declare they're there they're as they're walking through the courtyard and then just barge in. And so what would knock mean? The, the word knock is the same word they would use to pound a nail into wood. It's an aggressive, violent type of knock. It's like so, there's a bad guy out here. He's coming to get me and I need to get in your house and it's pounding and knocking and very, very urgent. We had uh, some soccer games yesterday, and we had a soccer game in Odessa, and and as we were heading back home from Odessa, and um, we watched, I know y'all were here too, you were in town, we watched the cold front come in. I don't know anywhere else that you visually watch the brown cold, like when Lubbock is coming, like it's, 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 it's almost here. You don't feel the cold front, you taste the cold front. You get the cold front in your teeth. And we, my, my, Hannah was like trying to, to video this because out the right side of the car, it was blue, bluebird skies. And she panned over and it was death. Just 
like this wall of, of dust coming in. And we get to the house like moments before it hits. And you can almost feel this desperation like the kids like, it's coming. It's almost here. Get the door open. And they're knocking, right? Like you get what I'm saying. He's not saying, oh, you know, ask and seek and knock. And if you knock, no. He's talking about when you get in these moments of desperation and you, ha- you need something to change, you're at your wits end and you're pounding on the door and God gives you the invitation to do this. And so I, I can't improve upon uh, what Charles Spurgeon said about this particular text. Um, many of y'all know this. Spurgeon's one of my favorite preachers. He's just, he, he's, he's so good at illustrating the text and helping you understand what's taking place. He was a 19th century preacher uh, in London. Uh, and he talks about what, what, what he, he believes, and I would agree, is taking place with these kind of three different levels of prayer that we have been invited into. Uh, stay with me as I read through a little bit of this because it, it takes a little bit of energy to keep focus. But this is what Spurgeon says. He says, it, it's faith that asks. And it's hope that seeks and it's love that knocks. And the gloss of worth is worth repeating, he says. Faith asks because she believes that God will give. Hope, having asked, expects and therefore seeks for the blessing. And love comes nearer still and will not take a denial from God, but desires to enter into his house and to sup with him, and therefore knocks at the door until it is opened. But again, let us come back to the old point. Here's where I want you to focus in. It matters not which grace is exercised. So I think there's a, there's a way in which uh, probably your heart right now and your position and how you feel you're close or perhaps you're distant from God uh, will put you maybe in one of these more than the other. He says, it matters not which grace is exercised, but a blessing comes to each one. If faith asks, it shall receive. If hope seeks, it shall find. And if love knocks, it shall be open to her. These three modes of prayer, they suit us, Spurgeon says, for different stages of distress. There I am. I am a poor mendicant at mercy's door, and I ask, and I shall receive. He says, what about if I've lost my way so that I can't find him of whom I once asked so successfully? Well, then I may seek with certainty that I shall find. And what if I'm at the last stage of all, and I'm not merely poor and bewildered, but I am so defiled as to feel shut out from God like a leper out of the camp, then I may knock and the door will be opened. What an unbelievable invitation God has given us to ask and to seek and to knock. And his promise is that the father is responding to his kids. He will answer. He will find. Then the door will be opened. I have a friend that many of y'all have met. He's been here multiple times. His name's Sastri Misala. And Sastri is from India, and I've traveled with him a few times to India. And what you see in India, uh, especially the place where we were, which was uh, one of the poorest places on the planet, when you hear about people that live off of 2 or $3 a day, this is them. And the, the church there, the, the Christians that are gathered together, uh, just, I mean, if, if, if you had no other words and you walked into their life or their church, you would say, these are people that seem to ask and seek and knock. They just, they, they love to pray. 
And I remember asking Sastry when I was there, why is it that many times we struggle um, to pray in the West like you do? And he just simply said, because you don't need to, or at least you don't feel like you need to. Like desperation drives prayer, and we have so much that sometimes we don't ask. Why? Because we don't need anything. We have storage units full of all the extra stuff. Why do we not seek? Because we feel like we, we, don't, we don't need much. Why do we not knock? Because we're fairly content. So like, there's this invitation that we can neglect if we don't recognize how much we truly need. It may not be a financial thing, but I guarantee you at some point in your life this week, there is an incredibly deep need. And so ask, seek, knock. That's the first thing. Jesus himself gave you the permission to do this. And not even the permission to do it, but the promise for the, the, the Father's reaction when you do. So the first thing truly to, to, to press into you is to, to convince you to take Jesus at his word and ask and, and seek and knock. But then the second thing that I want to invite us into is, is after we do that, after we, we get it into our heart that we can ask, we can seek, we can knock, and the Father's going to respond, number two is to be convinced that the Father only gives good gifts and only the Father gives good gifts. Did y'all catch that? Like a good father, Jesus just said it, he only gives good things, he does not give bad things. And if you have a good thing, it's from him, okay? He only gives good gifts, and only God gives good gifts. Uh, I want to talk about this first one first. What God decides to give, if you ask and you seek and you knock, whatever he decides to give you is good. However he decides to respond is good. Does that mean then he has to give us everything that we want? No, because not everything that we want is good. Y'all with me? L listen to what John Piper, a pastor, theologian, author, had to say about this text. Kind of asking the question about, is Jesus saying that he has to give us everything or that he's only going to give us good things? And he says this, when, the, when you pause to consider that God is infinitely strong, and he can do all that he pleases, that he is infinitely righteous so that he only does what is right, that he is infinitely good and so that everything he does is perfectly good, that he's infinitely wise so that he always knows perfectly what is right and good and that he is infinitely loving so that in all his strength and righteousness and goodness and wisdom, he raises the eternal joy of his loved ones as high as it can be raised." When you pause to consider this, then the lavish invitations of this God to ask him for good things with the promise that he will give them is unimaginably wonderful. And he says later in this same sermon, he says, because of this truth, uh, it's one of the greatest short-term tragedies uh, in the church in the, in, the, in the West, how little we pray that we've been given access to so much God only gives good things, and whatever answer that he gives is good. What about something that he might withhold? If we ask, if we seek, if we knock, and he decides to withhold something from us, we already know if he's given it, it's good, and if he withholds it, it's good. Did y'all see what Jesus said? He said, if, 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 if your son comes to you and asks you for 
bread, would you give him a stone? Or asks him for, what was the other one? Something in, in place of a serpent. What was it? A fish in place of a serpent. He doesn't say, well, what if the son comes up and asks for a serpent? Would he give it to him? Well, he, he's obliged to. He has to because he has to give the, no. He, he, even what, what he gives and what he withholds are always good. But sometimes we just, it, I'm just telling you from my experience, if he withholds something, it's so hard sometimes to know why that is good because it doesn't compute. It, it, it doesn't make sense if he's withheld something that you have prayed and you have asked and you have begged for. And it seems to be that maybe the Father is not loving by not giving you what you want. But if we can trust the heart of God, what he gives is always good. And what he withholds is always good. It, your parents in the room, you know you cannot give your kids everything that they ask for and be good. You, you give them good, and what you withhold is for their good. If you have something good, second thing, it came from the Father. So it's, okay, so God gives good things, and what you have that's good has come from him. James makes this very clear. This is Jesus' little brother, uh, half-brother, in James 1, 16 and 17. Uh, he says, don't be deceived, brothers, meaning like th th there's a way in which we can believe something that's not true. And perhaps who, who James was talking to, they were prone to this, but he says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every single good thing that you have in your life, where did it come from? And, and thank you. Every good and perfect gift came from Jesus, really came from the hand of God the Father. Uh, I will accept both. Uh, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from who? From the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Like, I, want, I, 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 I desperately want you to ask and to seek and to knock, but sometimes we need to stop and remember, like, how many good things we already have how many good things, if we stop just to, just to look through our life and inventory the blessings that we have, maybe we need to hit pause on asking and just start ramping up our thanksgiving a little bit because every good and perfect gift that we have has been given to us from God the Father. What God gives is good. What God withholds is good. Listen to what John Piper has to say as he continues. He's talking about this idea of why do we struggle so much if we ask for something but the answer is no and then we can very easily doubt the goodness of God when that's the moment you've got to trust the heart of your heavenly father. He says this. He says, I think the context here is sufficient to answer this question. No, we do not get everything we ask for and we should not and we would not want to. The reason I, Piper says, say we should not is because then we would, in effect, become God if God did everything we asked him to do. He said we should not be God. God should be God. And the reason I say that we would not want to get everything we asked for is because we would then have to bear the burden of infinite wisdom, which we do not have. We simply don't have the infallibility to decide how every decision will turn out and what the next events in our lives, let alone in history, should be. Spurgeon said it this way, if we can trust the Lord, the Father, with our souls, we need to be able to trust him with our prayers. 
Ask, seek, and knock, and know that every yes and every no is wrapped in goodness because that's who the Father is. He is good. Last quote from Spurgeon. <laughs> he says this, and I, I, I've committed this to memory years ago, and it's, uh, it's come into my mind in different moments in my life and, and difficulties because aren't, isn't that where we're tested the most to, to truly trust that God is good when we don't understand the answer or when we've asked and seeked and knocked and haven't got the answer that we want? He says, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And so when you can't trace his hand, you have got to learn to trust his heart. He's like, if we believe the God of the Bible that Jesus is pressing into us, that he's teaching us about, you've got to believe that, like that God, he's too kind to get it, to to, to, to do, he's too good to do unkind. And he's too wise to make a mistake. And so if you can't trace his hand in what he's doing, then you've got to come to the place where you just simply trust the heart of your father. If you were to invite my kids, which I wouldn't recommend you do this necessarily, to to just say, just tell me about your dad. Tell me about your father. Lord knows what you might get depending on the day. But let's just say they, they say, well, you know, Ruggedly handsome. <laughs> no, they wouldn't say that. They would say, well, you know, he's, he's 5'9", you know, 5'8", now. 10 years ago, 5'9". 185 pounds, yeah, 190. He went to DBU. He grew up in Amarillo. You know, he had dark brown hair until 2020 and now a lot of gray. You know, and just kind of just worked through a lot of true facts and details. You know, he's however many years old. I lose track. (laughs) And you think, like, okay, now, yeah, all those things are true, but does he ever hug you? Like, do you know him? Do you know what he smells like when you have a nightmare? Does he come in your room and wake you up? When it's your birthday, does he give you a good gift? And when you're scared, does he come in and pray with you? Like, does he love you enough to correct you and to discipline you? Like, like... both of those things are true, but there's a way in which you can know some details about your father and not truly get the blessing of what a father's meant to do. Here's my fear, okay? And this applies probably to a West Texas crowd and especially a West Texas reform crowd that we love the truth. And I I love the truth. I think there's a there's a temptation for us to just nail it theologically on God as a father and be able to spout all the truth and maybe miss some of the relational, emotional connection that you were designed to have with God the Father. They're so very different. To just be able to say, oh yeah, I know the Father's a third of the Trinity. Like that, that is good and that is true and that is necessary. But what Jesus is doing, I, I, this expands way beyond just the Sermon on the Mount. In Jesus' life, he's not just, although he is, trying to expose the truth about the Father. In fact, multiple times does Jesus show up and say, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm here to clear some things up and let you know what the Father is truly like. In fact, 
but he also opens up this relationship that we are supposed to learn God not just as the father in the facts, but God is the father that loves his kids and wants to give good things. See, that's why I think what Jesus is teaching is so much bigger than just what we get, what we pray for. Like, no, he's saying we've been invited in for the God of the universe to call you a son and a daughter. And that, that was such a new idea when Jesus begins speaking. Like, we, we've now heard it for 2,000 years. And so I, I fear that it loses some of the power that we're, like the statement that we're children of God Listen, I'm going to let the Apostle John have the last few words, okay? Because just like you and me, the Apostle John was a Jesus guy. He loved Jesus. He believed he was saved by Jesus, okay? He, he was Jesus' best friend on the planet. He's often referred to as the disciple who Jesus loved. He loved Jesus, believed he was the Christ, the Messiah, his Savior, but he also knew and never got over, I'll show you in a minute, John never got over not just the fact that Jesus was his savior, but Jesus came to invite John into the family of God so that John can call God Father. And if you put that lens on and you start working through everything that John wrote, he did not write about God the Father solely in truth terms, but in relational terms. I'll just pick a few, uh, although there's many more. In, in John 1, uh, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible where uh, it begins with, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Many of you know that. A few verses down, John says this. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, he was in the world, meaning God was in his own creation. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Though Jesus was responsible for creating all of the people that existed then, now, forever, they didn't know what, what, what they were getting. They, they, they had no idea who Jesus actually was. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, meaning the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, like you can, you can almost feel the emotion of John. He's like, he gave the right to become children of God. Can you believe that? Like that's not just a factual statement. He's like, Jesus came to give you the right to be called children of God, to call God your father. As Paul would say, to call God your, your Abba, your daddy, and to pray to him as such, to ask and seek and knock. Why? Because he's a good dad. He's a good father that gives good gifts. John just never seemed to get over that. He's like, we were born not of uh, blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We were born again. In 1 John chapter 3, he says something similar. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. I think you miss out, you potentially miss out on perhaps one of the biggest blessings in Christianity if we just get the truth of God as Father and don't get the relationship and the feeling and the emotion that comes with it. Y'all with me? Well, we've gone through so many times in the past all of the different dysfunctions that we inherit from our fathers. 
and the different wounds that we have and the different things that happen in a society uh, when men don't do their job and dads don't do their job. That's why it's such an important thing that we get this because it doesn't matter what your dad has done or not done. God is a good father. John never got over that. And may we never get over that. Why do we ask and we seek and we knock? Because God's a father. Because Jesus said so. Jesus said he is good. Jesus has not come only to forgive you of your sins and save you, although that is true. He has come so that he might usher you into a relationship with God the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what? And no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. Part of Jesus' mission was to bring you into a true, authentic relationship with God the Father. In closing, Jesus was very clear about this kind of spiritual paternity, if you will. And this might be offensive to you. That's okay. Uh, I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said. And so just remember, I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. Jesus said, you have one father. Like, you have two options. Either God is your father or Satan is your father. Have you, did you know that? <laughs> Read the Bible. It's, it's there uh, in, in John 8 and 1 John 3. Uh, John and Jesus both talk about it. He's talking to non-Christians. He's like, you're, you're of your father, the devil. And can we just say... That's, that's bad, okay? If, 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 you're, if you're not a Christian in, in some way, shape, or form, Satan is your father. He has influence over your past, present, and future, and you need a new family. Amen? And so God has sent Jesus to help rescue you from this dysfunctional spiritual family lineage and future and to give you a new, a, a new dad, a new spiritual dad that loves you, that accepts you, that delights in you, that invites you to ask and seek to knock, that is only good, only does good, only withholds for good. And, and so listen to what uh, John says in John 6, and I'm done. All, this is, he's quoting Jesus. Jesus said, all that the Father, I'm telling you, it, 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 it's littered all through Jesus' statements, he talks about God as Father all the time. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Some of you, there's like, there, there's such deep father wounds that you're scared to be rejected or cast out because of your past. Jesus is like, no, not, not with this one. My father's not like that. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And Jesus says this, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up the last day. This is Jesus. He's on a mission to bring you into a new family where you will live forever with God as the father that you've always wanted. And if that's true, if you have looked and turned to Jesus and you belong to God the father, then ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you'll find and keep banging and knocking on the door and the door will never be shut to you because you belong to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you and your spirit to shove this truth so deep down in our hearts that it's the bedrock of everything that we have, everything that we believe and everything that we do. Father, I, I trust that this is a timely word uh, for all of us. God, for someone who just truly needs the Father that they've always longed for, I pray that you might invite them in and convince them that you are what their heart and their soul is truly looking for. That every other man, every other father fails in doing what their heart and their soul truly needs. I also pray that you would help us not just to have good factual information and truth about our Father, but that we would know you, we would feel you, we would experience your, your smile over us, your joy in us. We would truly feel and experience the blessing that we have, that you have given to us the right to be called children of God, for that is who we are in Christ. May you use your word through your spirit to shape us, mold us, to give us incredible hope and joy. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.